Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in beautiful Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens and I serve as the pastor here. It is my great and good privilege to serve as the pastor of this church, even in the midst of such strange times as the ones we find ourselves in. It is uh, my duty, responsibility, all those sorts of things to be able to participate in worship on a regular basis. And I'm grateful that you have decided to join us today, whether you're with us on Facebook or on YouTube or somehow listening later through some other platform on the internet. Uh, welcome. Welcome to this, the second Sunday after Pentecost here in Ordinary Time. We are in the midst of a sermon series, a summer sermon series here at Cokesbury on Jesus's parables of the kingdom, the stories he told in his ministry to tell us about what his kingdom looks like and how it might be different than the kingdoms of this world. Uh, we looked at the parable of the sower last week, and today we're going to continue with that parable. Jesus has still a little bit more to say about it. I'm, again, grateful that you are here with us and that you have decided to, in your own way, continue to worship even though we cannot worship together in person right now. So I'd encourage you to uh, please find a comfortable position, perhaps rest your eyes for a moment. We're going to be silent before the Lord for just a moment as we prepare our hearts and our minds for worship. Lord, you know who we are, people who are both bad and good, tall and small, wealthy, poor, healthy, sick, satisfied, dissatisfied, sure and unsure. We are your people, we who believe, we who half believe, we who do not believe at all. But no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what we're doing right now, and no matter what we will do, we all stand before you in our inequality equal in this, that we are all in the wrong before you, before each other, that we all must die someday, and that we would all be lost without your grace. So, Lord, help us to see that you have sown your Son into the world like the seeds, seeds of grace that bear fruit for us, for each other, and for the world. This we pray through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people say, Amen. Just a few general announcements. We are still monitoring the situation regarding COVID-19 and what will be the best and most appropriate and safe and healthy and faithful time and way for us to be able to gather again in person for uh, worship on a Sunday morning. We will continue to make worship available online even when we do get back together, but uh, right now we still feel like it is not wise for us to be doing so, and we're going to continue to offer worship this way until uh, we discern that it is good and right and true. We will keep you as updated as possible about what that looks like and how it will take place when it does. It will not look like what worship used to look like, uh, but it will be done in su such a way that we keep everyone as safe as is possible. We're continuing to stay connected with our community as much as possible through things like weekly Bible studies online and devotional emails and a number of other assorted things. If that's something you're interested in, uh, you can find out more on our church Facebook page or on our church website. Uh, lastly, we have an online bulletin that we've been making new every week that includes our hymn, scriptures, uh, 
prayers, all those sorts of things. It's, if that's helpful for you, you can find it. It's linked in the description for this video so that you might reference it throughout the service if that's something that would uh, make it more life-giving for you this Sunday morning. Again, I ask you to make yourselves comfortable and be prepared for a posture of prayer. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful, wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Lord, kindle, we pray, in every heart the true love of peace. Guide with your wisdom those who take counsel for the nations of the earth that in tranquility your dominion may increase until the earth is filled with the knowledge of your love, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. And now, O Lord, each of us, we pray to you, silently or aloud in our own places of worship, lifting up to you our own joys and our concerns this day. And as you taught us, Lord, so now we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from the 13th chapter of the gospel according to Matthew, verses 18 through 23. You can find these words in the online bulletin. I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Hear now the word of the Lord. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet, such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the lure of wealth, choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil... This is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm a Methodist. That means I don't know how to worship without singing, or at the very least, playing. Uh, In a moment, I'm going to head over to the drums, and I'm going to play and sing to hymn 707 from our hymnal, which is Hymn of Promise. If you are unfamiliar with the words, you can find them in our online bulletin. But join me over at the drums as we sing together Hymn 707, Hymn of Promise. In the bowl there is a flower in the sea. Apple tree into two 
the hidden promises. Butterflies will soon be free. In the cold and snow of winter, there's a spring that waits to be unrevealed until it's season. Something God alone can see. Long in every silence, seeking word and melody. There's a dawn in every darkness, bringing hope to you and me. From the past will come the future, what it holds a mystery, unrevealed until it's season, something God alone can see. In our end is our beginning, in our time infinity, in our doubt there is believing, in our life eternity, in our death the resurrection, at the last a victory. Unrevealed until it's season, something God alone can see. Hear then the parable of the sower. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Listen, Jesus went for a walk by the sea, but there were so many people clamoring to see him to catch a glimpse of the walking, talking Messiah that they started to crowd around him, and he had to get into a boat, push off from the shore, go into the water in order to address all the people who were listening. And he said, hey, there was a guy. He had a bunch of seeds, and he started throwing them everywhere. Some of the seeds fell in open ground, and birds came and ate them. Then he threw some seeds in another place. They landed on rocks where there wasn't much soil. They sprang up for a second, but then the sun scorched them away. There were some other seeds. They fell among the thorns, and they grew, but then the thorns choked them out. And finally, some seeds fell on good soil, and they actually grew, and they bore some fruit. If you can hear me, listen up. That's it. The whole of the parable of the sower. The disciples, rightly confused, they confront their living Lord with a, um, Hey, J.C., what's going on? And he drops the hammer with, listen to me for a hot second, you fools. I'm letting you in on the mystery, the hidden things of the kingdom. For the people on the outside, I'm giving it to them in parables. Which apparently wasn't good enough for this ragtag group of followers. So Jesus then unpacks the parable of the sower for his inner circle. He says, if anyone hears the word, but they don't understand, the devil comes and snatches it up. It's like the seed sown on the path. If anyone receives it with joy, but without roots, it only lasts a little while, and then they fall away. If anyone hears it, but they care more about the world, then it yields nothing. But if anyone hears it and trusts it, then they will produce a great yield of fruit. It's an explanation of a parable. And Jesus' explanation, as we often describe it in church, it actually doesn't reduce a complex story into something simple. Instead, it takes an already puzzling narrative and drives it in the, def- the direction of extremely difficult interpretations. It's one of those parables where preacher types like me might desire if Jesus just could have left us with the first part so that we could put whatever spin on it we wanted rather than hearing him interpret his own parable for the likes of us. But that, friends, is not the way Jesus rolls. More often than not, Even though Jesus explains the parable, we are asked by people like me to imagine that Jesus is the divine sower. 
Jesus is Johnny Appleseed. The seeds are his scriptures, and we are those with the different soils. And, you know, maybe that's true. Jesus' own explanation sort of trends in that direction, but it honestly doesn't make a lot of sense. After all, throughout the New Testament, the word of the kingdom, it doesn't refer to a collection of texts we call the Bible today, something that's perhaps collecting dust on our shelves. The word of the kingdom is Jesus himself, the divine word become incarnate in the world. Now, that might not seem like much, but it means that the sower in the story is God the Father. Jesus, then, since he is the word, he is the seed sown across creation, which in the end means Jesus has already and literally been scattered everywhere in the entirety of the cosmos without any cooperation or any consent on the part of the soil. Do we like that? Because when we well-meaning Christians read from Jesus' parables, we tend to read ourselves into the story because we think they're all about us. We want to become the heroes in the story. We read about the parable of the prodigal, and we want to be the dad who welcomes home the wayward son with loving arms. We read about the good Samaritan, and we want to be the good Samaritan who stops on the side of the road. Except the problem with that is the parables, they're not about us. The parables are about Jesus and the kingdom he comes and came to inaugurate. And his kingdom is radically different from everything we think we know. His kingdom is a kingdom of grace, a kingdom of crucifixion, of scandal, of upside-down understanding. The central figure of every parable, the hero, if there is one, is the messianic madman who is the divine seed of forgiveness given away like it's going out of style, who never stops going after the last, the least, the lost, the little, and the dead. In his parables, Jesus points to himself as the mysterious kingdom, the one who comes to tell scandalous stories, die a scandalous death, and be raised again to fill all with his scandalous grace. But back to the sower. The sower goes and scatters seed everywhere, always, and for all. No one, at any time, at any place, no matter how good they are or how bad they are, no matter how wrong they are or right they are, no one is left out of the scope of this agriculturally theological revolution. The differing soils are just that. They're different. They cover all people, and there is no one to whom they do not apply. And friends, that is scandalous. Immediately, we think something must be wrong here, because Jesus can't really be for all people, despite our well-intentioned signs we might put on our church lawns. I mean, what about bad people? Is Jesus for them? What about people who don't believe? What about the people who just get on our nerves all the time? Are we sure we want to follow this Jesus guy who is so willing to give away the kingdom for nothing? Right here in his waxing lyrical, Jesus doesn't sound quite like the smart and serious teacher setting the guidelines for his followers that we often imagine him to be. Instead, Jesus sounds like someone who knows he just said something very offensive and is determined to drive that same point home again and again and again. And even so, this sower is very mysterious. I mean, Who does he think he is throwing seed around, seeds of forgiveness everywhere? Don't we go to church to find out how to be good? 
how to know what's right and what's wrong, how to have the right kind of soil for Jesus? Well, actually, no. I mean, consider a seed. A seed is disproportionately tiny in comparison with what it ultimately produces. Jesus is like a seed? Wouldn't we like it more if Jesus was like a thunderclap or a bolt of lightning? But Jesus is like a seed. And a seed is only good. It can only do anything, worth anything, when it's buried in the ground, hidden from view. You know, like Jesus, buried in the tomb. A seed, only after it's covered with dirt, only after it's abandoned to its own faith, can that thing do anything. Remember, Jesus, as the seeded word, is despised, rejected, abandoned, betrayed, left in the ground. And yet, his entire overturning of the cosmos takes place like a seed. It happens in the dark, without anybody around. It's a mystery. No one gets to watch it happen. And Right now, maybe you're thinking, fine, Taylor, cool, whatever. Talk about Jesus some more, that's all right. But what does it have to do with me? What about my soil? What am I supposed to do? Well, sorry to be the bearer of the best news of all, but we don't have to do much of anything. Regardless of whatever soil we think we have, God is going to get what God wants. I mean, think about the seeds thrown on the road, the ones that are eaten by the birds. That sounds pretty terrible, right? Jesus even says that the birds are like the devil, and the devil is going to come in and snatch up the divine word. Except, do you know what happens when seeds get eaten by birds? They're deposited somewhere else, only this time with fertilizer, if you get what I'm saying. You know, the word, like a seed, it still works on its own terms and not at all by what we think we can do to it or for it or with it. Think about the seeds sown in the other locations, the rocky ground, the thorns, and even the good soil. The seed does its job. It springs up. The seed works. It doesn't matter what kind of land it lands on. However, we, we almost lean toward another, though not in the text, meaning. Sure, we say. The Lamb of God has taken away the sins of the world, but then we immediately jump into conversations about all the things people need to do in order to activate Jesus in their lives. You've got to accept him as your Lord and Savior. You've got to lay your sins up at the altar. You've got to invite Jesus into your heart. But if that's how it all works... If the onus is completely on us, then it is simply unmitigated bad news. If our salvation is up to us, then the seed that is Jesus might as well never have been sown in the first place. Because in the end, we can't really do anything to our soil, whatever form it might be. Every week I stand in this place and I talk about how God gathers us together. God proclaims God's word. We respond to God's word. The truth behind all that, though, is that our response, if it is anything, it pales in comparison to what God did, what God does, and what God will do. And that is the best news of all. It's good news. Really, truly good news because nobody Not the devil, not the world, not the flesh, not even ourselves can take us away from the Lord that refuses to let us go. We can, of course, kick and squirm and move and make things all the more messy. But if God really is the God of Scripture, the great divine sower, then there is no way 
literally no way we will ever find ourselves anywhere other than being reconciled and forgiven over and over and over again. Even the good soil, the best soil, you know, the one with all the right nutrients, the soil that wakes up every morning, prays three times a day, reads scripture, all that stuff. It does nothing for the seed to bear good fruit. The soil simply receives the word called Jesus, trusts it, and then fruit comes. It's not that the good soil has the responsibility to make all the right choices or the proper proclamations or maintain moral purity. Rather, the only thing the good soil has to do is make sure it gets out of the way of Jesus doing his Jesus thing. Or to put it another way, we do respond to the good work done for us and to us and in us, but our only response is to not screw it up, is to not make Jesus' job harder than it already is. God sows the seed regardless of what kind of soil it lands on, which means the seed is not sown in order to make us into better people, making better choices, or punishing us for all of our bad decisions. The seed is sown simply and yet powerfully to bear fruit among us, within us, for us, and more often than not, in spite of us. In the end, the seed that is Jesus is sown to bring us home back to the sower's house, to be part of the grain that becomes the bread of life at the supper of the Lamb. Jesus gets what Jesus wants. The only problem occurs when we get in his way. And friends, we sure love to get in his way. I mean, take, for instance, all these social media posts I've been reading over the last few weeks, lambasting Christians for posting about Black Lives Matter. I've had more than a few people assure me that the only proper, the only faithful, the only good Christian response to the present and the, frankly, long-standing crisis is to affirm all lives matter. But that's literally getting in the way of Jesus. You know, the good shepherd who, in another parable, leaves behind all the other sheep to go after the one who is lost, the one who is in danger, the one who needs him most. Or, consider all these like countless pictures of Jesus we put up in our homes and our sanctuaries. Pictures that make Jesus appear white. It makes white people like me feel comfortable, knowing that the Savior is just like me. But that's getting in the way of Jesus. Jesus was a first century carpenter turned rabbi who spent his entire earthly life in the Middle East. He didn't look like me in the least. Or finally, think about all the people lamenting the riots and the protests for not witnessing to the proper Christian practice of nonviolence. The whole, why can't we all just get along? And this isn't what Jesus would have wanted. Do you all remember what happened to Jesus? He was nailed to a tree for the things he said for rioting inside the temple and flipping the tables over, for showing up for people we might otherwise ignore. We are blessed because Jesus continues to be sown all over creation, bearing fruit that we couldn't on our own. We are blessed because Jesus won't give up on us, even when everything seems like he probably should. We are blessed because no matter what our soil looks like, Jesus delights in making something of our nothing, for us, with us, in us, and often in spite of us. So I offer this to you today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.
Would you please pray with me? Lord, keep your household, the church, in your steadfast faith and love, that through your grace we may proclaim your truth with boldness and minister your justice with compassion. For the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. God has gathered us together. God has proclaimed God's word, and now we respond to what God has said. We can respond with uh, the giving of ourselves, our time, our presence. We can also give uh, of our prayers, but here we're also giving of our gifts, our tithes, our offerings. If you feel called uh, to give to the ministries of this church, you may do so giving online. The button for doing so is found in the description of this video, whether you're on YouTube or Facebook. You can also give by sending a check in the mail or bringing your offering here to the church. We have a drop slot by the main office doors. But give. Give with glad and generous hearts so that the seed that is Christ that is sown across the world can even happen here in Woodbridge through the likes of a church like ours. Give with glad and generous hearts as you feel called and you feel led. Another way we respond to what God has said is by affirming our faith uh, using something like the Apostles' Creed. So if you're familiar with it, please join together. Otherwise, you can find the words for it in the online bulletin. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Each week, I've been trying to think of an imaginative way for us to continue to respond to what God has said in the time in between Sundays. And this week, I encourage you to think about reading as discipleship. For Christians are often fixated on doing the next right thing, which is all good and fine, but sometimes it results in moving in a particular direction without considering whether or not it's really the best decision. Another way to put it is, we Christians think we know how to fix the world. We actually think it's our job to fix the world. So this week, I encourage you, as much as you're, you're able, to read Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from Birmingham Jail. You can easily search for it online, but I've also linked a PDF of the letter in the description for this worship video, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube. It's not very long. You can read it in one sitting. Take some time to read it this week. He wrote it from prison as a response to eight white religious leaders who were calling into question what he was doing and his tactics at the time. And in many ways, his letter to those religious leaders is just another way of saying, hey, y'all need to stay out of Jesus's way. So I encourage you to read that letter this week to remember part of our past so that we might have it inform our present and perhaps even more importantly, our future, and to stay out of Jesus's way. With that, I'd like to offer you this final blessing and benediction that you might go forth wherever you go, uh, knowing that the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the work of Christ dwells among you, in you, for you, and with you. So go forth with this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, help you to do what is necessary to bear fruit 
but most of all to stay out of Jesus' way, for Jesus is going to get what Jesus wants. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I look forward to seeing you all next week, same time, same place. Go in peace.